A couple of Sundays ago, we spoke to you from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And last Sunday, we were in the Gospel of Luke. And in these two passages, we looked at a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and we looked at a Samaritan man over here in, uh, in the uh, 15th chapter of the book of Luke, uh, known as the Good Samaritan. Uh, this morning, I'd like to take a, like, take a look at another Samaritan that's found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. Uh, back when we first introduced this in John chapter 4, we went in some detail as to who Samaritans were. And they were a group of people uh, that were despised by the Jewish people. There was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. But the Lord used the Samaritans to teach some very important lessons. Uh, the Jews looked upon the Gentiles in that day as dogs. They looked upon the Samaritans, again, uh, with animosity. Uh, they could not prove their genealogy due to the fact that they had uh, become mixed with the Assyrians and other ones when they went, went in captivity about 700 years before the time of Christ. So we find that Samaritans were someone who was from Samaria, but that was their background. And so the Lord will use a Samaritan on several occasions, this time three different occasions, to teach the Jewish people some lessons of what true Christianity was all about. In the case of John chapter 4, when he met the woman at Jacob's well, we find he revealed himself to her as the Son of God. He displayed his attribute of being omniscient by showing her and telling her all things about her past and present that she knew could not possibly be known by an ordinary man. And she got so excited with her interaction with Christ, she left a water pot and she ran back to her people and said, Come see a man which told me all things what you ever did. Is this not the Messiah? She believed he was the Messiah. No one but the Messiah could have told her the things that he told her and taught her. And many believed because of her. And then we have the Good Samaritan story. And by the way, I was told today is Samaritan Day. I didn't know that. But anyway, whatever uh, that is supposed to, to be... Uh, uh, I didn't realize that. But anyway, the Good Samaritan, we see, uh, did exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did and what he's commanded us to do. Remember the man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by thieves. They stripped him of his garments. They robbed him and they beat him and they left him half dead. A priest and a Levite came along. The priest and a Levite were heavily involved uh, in the service of God, had been for hundreds of years. They were a tribe that had been set aside to take care of the tabernacle, take care of the temple duties and responsibilities, etc. And as each one of them came by, they looked upon him and passed on to the other side. They offered no help, no assistance whatsoever. But we have a Samaritan coming along. Now the Levite and the priest were Jews, and this was a fellow Jew that they saw. But here comes the Samaritan. When he looked upon him, he didn't see him as a Jewish person. He saw him as a person. He saw him as a man. He saw him as somebody that stood in great need. He was half dead. He needed assistance. He needed help. And that Samaritan took time to help him. He came to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured oil in his wounds. He put him on his own beast in which he was riding. And now he will be walking and leading that beast carrying the man that was left half dead down the road a ways till they came to an inn. There he took care of him, paid the innkeeper two days' worth of wages. Then he went on, but he said before he did, when I come back, if I owe thee more, I will pay you. 
Now, all, everything the Good Samaritan did is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us, but it's left us on record an example of what we should be doing for one another. So we come here to Luke chapter 17, verse 11, and it says that the Lord Jesus Christ went into a certain city. He went into a certain city. He was met by 10 lepers who stood afar off. Now, these lepers had leprosy, of course. And leprosy was a disease in biblical days uh, that was most dreaded. In fact, it still exists in the world today. It's known as Hansen's disease, primarily. And it attacks the nerves to where a person who has this can't feel any pain. And that's not good. Pain is, is good for us in, right, in a sense. If you put your finger on a, a hot stove, uh, the pain lets you know you need to remove it. If you don't have pain, you can keep it on there and you can do serious damage, of course. So pain used properly or experienced properly is a good thing. So they couldn't feel pain. It caused deformity. It caused uh, physical disfigurations of the body as well as the, the pain and suffering that a person went through. A person who had leprosy was isolated. In fact, if you go to the book of Leviticus, uh, the Lord devotes two chapters concerning leprosy for us to read and to study. As to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. You go back to chapter 13, you find it was the priest's duty and responsibility to examine someone that had a, a skin problem to determine if it was leprosy or not. So the person would come to the priest, the priest would examine him and see, let's say it's on the arm here and there's a discoloration. The part on his arm is either lighter or darker than normal. And if the hairs in that area turn white and go down deep, that was a sign he had leprosy. And he would pronounce him unclean. He'd become isolated, isolated from family, isolated from friends. Uh, and then they would be grouped together oftentimes. It, it, was, it was just a, a terrible thing to have to go through. Uh, leprosy in many different ways is a picture of sin. It's one of the lessons you'll get by studying the 13th chapter of the book of Leviticus. First of all, if you had a leprosy, it was more than just on the surface of the skin. It went down deep. And a lot of people look at sin as just being on the surface. But I can assure you it's not just on the surface. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, he says, The carnal mind's enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The mind is affected. Psalms 14, 1, Psalms 53, 1 tells us, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. It affects his heart. That goes down deep, doesn't it? Uh, the psalmist also tells, or, or Solomon tells us, that the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. The wicked will not seek after God. He has a wicked mind, a wicked heart, a wicked soul. He will not seek after God. Jesus said in John 5 and 40, "Ye will not come to me. When we put these verses together, we see how sin has affected our mind, affected our heart, affected our, our will. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, the unregenerated man, in other words, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because it's foolish unto him, neither can he know him, because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, sin affects us top to bottom, inside out and outside in. There's nothing about us that's not affected by sin. That's the way leprosy was. And then the priest would examine him later, and if it began to spread, that was an indication that he had leprosy. And that's a picture of sin as well. Sin spreads. Uh, you know, it's, it's contagious. Uh, in the book of Proverbs 13 and 20, Solomon says that uh, he that walketh fools 
He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but he but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That's one verse that I try my best to uh, impress upon the minds of everybody, but especially young people. Uh, it's important who you associate yourself with. It's important who you hang around with. Maybe use some of their words <laughs> that hang out with, hang around with. You know, it's important that you know who they are because they can lead you astray. Uh, companions of fools, what's that going to be? Is, is going to be destroyed. But he that walketh wise men shall be wise. You need to attach yourself to wise people, people that you believe have wisdom, and you can learn from them. You can learn from their words. You can learn from their, uh, their life. Uh, it's important that we make good choices along those lines. You see, sin spreads. It defiles. That's another thing about, uh, about leprosy. Uh, you look in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 33, it says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. It says, Don't be deceived about this. If you're around people who have evil, use evil words, have evil intentions, uh, evil communications, what's it going to, it's going to corrupt somebody that has good manners. Who you choose to walk with is very, very important. And then uh, if someone had leprosy, uh, even their clothes had to be burned. I mean, it was a serious matter. And then again, they were isolated. They had to be separated, separated from family, separated from friends, separated, uh, uh, you know, from, from everyone. And then if someone approached them, they were to stand afar off, give warning. They were to cover the lip like this, and they would cry out, unclean, unclean. That gave you warning not to come close to them. And so this is the kind of person or people here that met Jesus. Uh, Jesus met them at the border of Samaria and Judea. Uh, and so these ten lepers, uh, Jesus has met with the ten lepers, and we'll find out later on, nine of them are Jews and one of them is a Samaritan. And these lepers meet the Lord Jesus Christ, and they stand afar off. They're keeping the law as the law commanded. And while it doesn't say it, I'm sure they cried out, unclean, unclean. But notice what else they said. They addressed him as Jesus. They said, Jesus, um, they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I want you to notice the oneness about this. Uh, these ten, uh, all were lepers. And these ten lifted up their voices. Not just one, but they were united in this. They lifted their, their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, when they said in Jesus, they recognized him as the Son of God. The word Jesus means Savior. It means salvation. It said Jesus, Master. The word Master sometimes means instructor. Sometimes it means God. But there's a few places in the Bible, and this is one of them, where the word Master means commander, commander-in-chief. They recognized him as the chief commander. They recognized he was a man that they felt like could do something for them. When they left that day, the ten of them, uh, you know, misery loves company. Uh, that's one reason you might say, well, what was a, a Samaritan doing with these, with these Jews? Well, what difference did it really make? If they all had leprosy, what difference did their birth make? Uh, you see, lepers were referred to as the walking dead. That was the condition they were in. So they left that morning. They left probably with no hope within them. But then they met the Savior. And the Savior should always give us hope. 
Every time we see Jesus in the scripture, when we look by faith to see him daily, it ought to encourage us. A view of Jesus should remove hopelessness, my friends. Uh, a view of Jesus should do wonders for us. When they saw him, I'm sure their spirits arose. They addressed him as Jesus. Now, I kind of think they probably had heard about some of the other lepers that Jesus had healed. This is not the first time uh, that Jesus is approached by lepers. In fact, back in chapter 5 of this letter in Luke here, you'll find where a man, the Bible says, was full of leprosy, full of it. He approached the Lord Jesus Christ, and he asked him to have mercy upon him and said, I know if thou wilt, thou can heal me. Now he addressed him as Lord. The word Lord denotes ownership. He said, Lord, I know if thou wilt, thou can heal me. He knew that God had the power to do it. Now he's hoping it'll be the Lord's will to do it. I know about the power of God. I don't always know what God's will may be in a matter, but I don't doubt the power of God. He said, I know if thou wilt, if it's your will, you can heal me. How did the Lord respond? He responded totally different to him than in these 10 here. We'll see that in just a moment. He said unto him, I will. He said, be thou clean. And Jesus actually touched him. Jesus did the unthinkable. Jesus now becomes defiled himself from the standpoint of the law because he has touched this man that was lep uh, had leprosy. But then he told the man, he says, go and show thyself unto the priest. Make thine offering according as Moses has commanded you. We notice here the Lord Jesus Christ directed him to keep the law just like Moses had pinned it down, just like we find in Leviticus chapter 13 and Leviticus chapter 14. See, Leviticus chapter 13 teaches us uh, how leprosy uh, was identified. It was the priest's responsibility to do that. Chapter 14 teaches us that if a man was cleansed and healed of the leprosy, the process he was to go through. He was to come back to the priest, make his offering, and the priest would re-examine him. Now, if he was clean, the priest would pronounce him clean, but other things had to be done. Uh, he would take two birds, and uh, one bird would be killed in a, in a vessel uh, overrun in water. And the other bird, along with cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet, was to be dipped into the blood of the slain bird, and then that bird was let go and he flew away. Now, all that's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. You see, we have a death under consideration. We have shed blood under consideration. And the bird that flew away didn't fly away till he was dipped into the blood of the slain bird. Then he had freedom and he flew away. So it required the death of one bird for the other bird to fly away, live, and have freedom. The Lord Jesus Christ did that for us. The Son of God died on Calvary, put away our sins, shed his blood, and that blood is applied to us. First of all, legally, our sins were put away as far as the east is from the west. And then when you're born of the Spirit of God, the merits of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is applied to your heart and to your soul, and you're cleansed. Now notice, when you talk about the miracle that God performed with lepers, the word cleansed is used, just like it is when it comes to us being cleansed from our sins. It's used in the same manner, in the same way. When Jesus sent out his apostles in the first commission, Matthew chapter 10, he told them to go not to the way of the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, as you go, you go preaching the kingdom of God. 
He says, and you are to heal the sick and you are to cleanse the lepers and several other things they were to do. But notice they were to heal the sick, but they were to cleanse the lepers. Now, when the lepers were cleansed, they were indeed healed. When Jesus sent back a message to John the Baptist, when he was in prison, John the Baptist was cast down, understandably so. So he sends out a message. This is the Christ that should we look for another. And Christ sent back a message. You go back and you tell John these things are being done. You tell John that the blind see. You tell John that the lame walk. And you tell John that the lepers are being cleansed. So no, that was one of six miracles that was taking place kind of on a regular basis in that land in that day. And I'm sure perhaps these 10 were well aware of that. When you go back to Luke chapter 5, when the Lord uh, cleansed that uh, one man who came to him, it was full of leprosy. He just touched him and he was cleansed. And then the Lord told him to go and to see the priest to do according to the law of Moses. And he says, tell no man. <laughs> uh, Jesus said that on several different occasions. I never knew it to work. Uh, they always told people, and I, I can't be critical because if I had leprosy and the Lord cleansed me of leprosy, I just know I'd have to tell somebody. And if I was deaf and the Lord gave my hearing back, I think I'd have to tell somebody, wouldn't you? If I was blind and God gave me sight, I, I just feel like I'd have to tell somebody. How could I keep that? If I met you <laughs> and uh, now I can hear you speak, I'd, of course, you'd find that out. But I'd have to tell you, explain to you how it all happened. I'd just have to do that. But see, the Lord knew if he did that, great multitudes would follow. And you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, if you'll read the rest of that account in Luke chapter 5, you'll find where the multitudes came to hear him and to be healed of all their infirmities. But Jesus withdrew himself into a mountain by himself and prayed. Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister. But there were many things Jesus did and the great crowds and multitudes would kind of hinder that to some extent. The Lord said, tell no man. And of course, to me, that's the surest way to get somebody to tell something is tell them not to tell it. You know, if something is spread, you just tell somebody, well, don't you tell this, and you guarantee it's going to be spread before the sun goes down. But anyway, uh, we find he handled that situation with that single leper differently than he did with these ten. But I'm satisfied these ten knew about this one in Luke chapter 5. These ten, no doubt, were acquainted with other lepers who had been cleansed. And it took the power of God. And God's power is demonstrated, even in the Old Testament, concerning a leprosy. If you go to um, Exodus chapter 4, you'll find where God has instructed Moses to go down to the land of Egypt and bring his people out of there. And he gave Moses some signs to show to the Egyptians. One of them was this. He said, Moses, put your hand into your bosom. And so Moses did. When he drew it out, his hand was leprous, white as snow. He put it back in there, brought it out. It was back like it was to begin with. God displayed his power in bringing leprosy on the hand of Moses. He displayed his uh, power in cleansing Moses' hand and returned it back like it was. In the 12th chapter of Numbers, you'll find where Moses' brother Aaron and his sister Miriam questioned him concerning an Ethiopian woman. And the Lord was not pleased with that. And the Lord called Aaron and Moses on the carpet for it. And he told them to approach unto him, and God caused leprosy to come upon Miriam. And she became white as snow. And that caused her great concern in Aaron and them, and they cried unto Moses to intercede on her behalf and to pray to God uh, for her. And Moses did. And Moses said, Lord, uh, let thy hand be upon her, that she be not as one that is dead. When somebody had leprosy, 
they were considered to be living dead, walking dead, so to speak. And so the Lord answered that prayer, but he said uh, if she was to spit in her father's face, she'd be outside the camp for at least seven days. So she was outside the camp for seven days. After seven days, the Lord cleansed her and restored her back just like she was before. This displays again God's power and bringing on leprosy if he wants to and also taking leprosy away if he wants to. Now, these ten, I'm satisfied, knew that history. I think they knew, if they were familiar with the Old Testament, they were familiar with the history of Moses' hand being made leprous and then clean, cleansed. I'm sure they were familiar with Miriam's experience of becoming uh, leprous and the Lord cleansing her. I believe they probably had heard about this man in Luke chapter 5. The Lord's already said, go back and tell John that the lepers are cleansed, plural. So lepers are being cleansed. That's part of the miracle working of Christ and the apostles. So these 10 leave that day. They are lepers, but they meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the way and they stand afar off and no doubt cried unclean, but then they come and they speak to Jesus and they address him as Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Again, the word master here means commander. Uh, it can mean God, it can mean instructor, but here it means commander. And I want to always remember that Jesus is my commander. So what he commands me to do, I should be willing to do it and have the desire to do it. And God will give me strength to be able to do it. God's never given me a commandment that I couldn't do by his power and by his grace. The Apostle John says the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. In John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ tells his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the test of your real love for Jesus Christ. Uh, are you concerned about keeping the commandments of God? Do you make a sincere, diligent effort to keep the commandments of God? That's a test of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you love me, keep my commandments. He is the commander in chief. He's the commander of all things, you see. Now, I think you can see that in a couple of illustrations. You can go over to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. And here is a man by the name of Naaman. And that chapter opens up, we find that Naaman is a military leader of the king of Syria. He's referred to as an honorable man, a great man. And it says, uh, but, but it ends up like this after describing these uh, positive words. It says, but he was a leper. This man had a leprosy. Now, he was a captain of the Syrian army. He was a great man. He was an honorable man. Uh, but he was a leper. And so there was a little maid there who knew about it. And she told her mistress that there was a man in Israel by the name of Elijah, Elisha, who could tell him what to do to be cured of this. So we just skip through some of the details. We find that Naaman winds up going over there. And we find where he is told to dip himself in the river Jordan seven times. Now, he doesn't want to do that to begin with. He's a man of great pride, you see. He took a look at Jordan's River and compared it to the rivers of where he came from. And his thinking is, well, if that's all I had to do, I, may, I had a wasted trip. I could have done something like that back where I came from. No, you couldn't dip yourself in Jordan's River back where you came from. Jordan's River might not compare to your rivers back there in terms of the physical attributes of the river, but Jordan's River is significant over here in Israel's history for various reasons. And the command is you dip in Jordan's River. And so his servants came to him and said, the servant, uh, the prophet bid they do some great thing. You'd have been willing to have done it. But he says, you know, but here's a simple thing. So Naaman listened to him and he dipped himself in Jordan's River. And when he did, he came forth out of the river 
cleansed from his leprosy. I'm sure that these ten were familiar with that story of Naaman the leper. They addressed the Lord Jesus Christ as Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They recognize him as commander-in-chief. This word master is used by the apostle Peter. If you look in Luke chapter 5, you'll find one day the Lord came where Peter and the disciples had been fishing. And they hadn't caught anything. And the Lord comes to them and he tells the apostle Peter and the others, says, cast your, uh, you know, get your ships, go out to the deep water and cast your nets in the deep water. And Peter replied like this. He says, master. The word master here means commander. He says, master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing, but nevertheless at thy word we will do it. See, that's a man who recognizes Jesus as the commander right here. It doesn't matter whether you understand it or not, Peter. Yeah, you fished all night, you didn't catch anything. And you were fishing in shallow water at nighttime, which is where the fish generally were. But God moved those fish away from there, out in the deep water, and the Lord knew where they were at. And he says, cast your nets in the deep water. Peter says, nevertheless, Lord, we didn't catch anything, but master, commander-in-chief, if the commander-in-chief has spoken, that we will do. So they did it. So what happened? said, they caught so many fish, the nets broke. And they beckoned for their partners to come over in another ship. And the ship came over there, and now both ships are gathering in the fish, and gathering in so many fish, the two ships begin to sink. Begin to sink. Now, that's what happens when you obey the Lord. Uh, uh, not a sinking ship, but I mean, you're going to be blessed. <laughs> in other words, uh, the Lord knew where the fish were. The Lord told them where to go and catch the fish. Then what the Lord said... And they caught the fish, and they caught so many, they couldn't believe it. The nets broke, the ships began to sink, they caught so many fish. Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Now, the Lord handled them differently than did the one back in Luke chapter 5. Notice what the Lord says here. When he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, let's read that kind of slowly. Go show yourself to the priest. See, that seems early. You don't go show yourself to the priest until after you've been cleansed, after you've been healed. The Lord tells them to go show themselves to the priest before they're cleansed, before they're healed. And what do they do? He says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Here's a picture of the importance of obedience to the Lord. I just gave you a great example in Naaman. When was Naaman cleansed of his leprosy? When he obeyed the word of God, not prior to. When he obeyed God's word, that's when he was cleansed from his leprosy. When he actually went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times, seven in the Bible, you know, is the number of completion and perfection. When he dipped himself seven times and he came out of the river, then he was cleansed. I don't believe he was cleansed until he dipped himself the seventh time. Not the first through the sixth, but the seventh time. He dipped himself in Jordan's River and he came out. He was cleansed. He was cleansed after he obeyed the word of God and exactly what God commanded him to do. In the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis, you find where Abraham sends his oldest servant, his most reliable, dependable servant on a mission. And that mission is to get a bride for his son Isaac. And he tells him where to go. He said, don't take one from around the people we're here at. Now you go back to the homeland, you get one of our own people. And he sends him back. And you're going to find when that servant got to that land, the very first thing he did was to pray. He knelt down and prayed. 
And he prayed that the Lord might show him which one of the women there that he was going to soon be introduced to would be the one that be the bride for the master's son, Isaac. And he prayed a very specific, specific detailed prayer. And it came to pass exactly like he prayed. I mean, crossed all T's, dotted all I's, just like he prayed. All the Pacifics were taken care of when he answered the servant's prayer. The servant humbled himself. The servant prayed to God, prayed for guidance, prayed for direction, prayed for prosperity of his journey. And God heard his prayer, answered his prayer. Rebecca's a woman who's going to come forth and do exactly what the man asked for. When he recognized God had answered his prayer, what did he do? He bowed down and prayed again. He said, Lord, said, I'm being in the way. The Lord has led me to the house of my master's brethren. Been one of my favorite verses to think about over the years. I'm being in the way. It's important I know where the way is, and it's important for me to be in the way. And this servant here was in the way of prayer. He was in the way of obedience. And when the Lord's people find themselves in the way of prayer, in the way of obedience, the way of discipleship, then blessings are going to come their way. Lord, I being in the way, what happened? Thou hast led me to the house of my master's brethren. She became the bride of Isaac. He obeyed the command of his master Abraham. Then he did what the Lord told him to do. He prayed for guidance and direction, and God gave it to him. We find Peter once again saying, Master, Commander. They addressed him as Jesus. Commander, have mercy upon us. When does a person cry out for mercy? See, these, these ten lepers felt a keen and serious need in their lives. They were plagued with a disease that they had no hope of being cured of outside the divine intervention of God. How do I feel today? How do you feel today? You see, true prayer arises from a heart that feels a great need. When I, when I observe the uh, people out here in the world, uh, I believe there are many of God's people who just hardly ever pray. And there are some of God's people who pray every now and then. They'll pray these emergency prayers. You know, they'll think about prayer when they're facing adversity, when they're faced with difficulties and problems, and maybe physical problems, one thing or another. Uh, then, then they'll think about prayer. And then there's people who pray all the time. What makes the difference? What makes the difference? Which category are we in? Are we in the category hardly ever praying? Are we in the category praying every now and then? Are we in the category of what Paul said, pray without ceasing? What category are we in and what makes the difference? I believe it's when you feel a need in your life for God. That's what makes the difference. When you see yourself to be poor and needy and weak and frail and undone, my friends, and without God you're just nothing, that's where true prayer rises in the heart to God. These ten men had a great need, and they came to one who could take care of that great need. They came to Jesus. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Reminds me of the publican that's recorded for us in the next chapter, in chapter 18, when he and the Pharisee came up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee began praying first. He said, Father, he says, oh, oh, Lord, he says, I thank thee I'm not like other men, like this, this man over here pointing to the publican. I tell you, anytime you're looking down on somebody, you're not, you're not in the right frame of mind to pray, I tell you that. Uh, you'll be in the right frame of mind to pray when you see yourself down and not up and looking down, but looking up to God. I thank you, Lord, I'm not like these other men, like this man here, 
Well, I tithe, I, I fast, uh, you know, twice a week. I give my tithes. I, I'm not this, I'm not that, etc. But then the publican smote himself on the breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was looking for mercy. He wasn't looking for justice. He was looking for mercy. And he confessed he was a sinner. These ten men all had something in common. They were all lepers. They were all plagued with the sin of leprosy. And brethren, I'm telling you here this morning, we're all plagued with sin. Romans 3, 23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a person here that's not a sinner. Somebody said, Brother Lawrence, have y'all got a mourner's bench in your church? I said, no, no, we don't have a mourner's bench. Uh, we've got about 32 mourner's benches. We don't have one. We got multiple ones. I'm not sure how many pews we got, but how many pews we got, that's how many mourner's benches we have. Somebody said, Brother Lawrence, do y'all have a Thanksgiving service? Yeah, we have a Thanksgiving service so designated between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we don't just have one Thanksgiving service a year. We have 52 of them. We have 52 Thanksgiving services a year. Kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but anyway, if you don't notice, it won't matter. All right, so... <laughs> So these ten lepers come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They acknowledge him as Jesus. They acknowledge him as master, commander-in-chief. And they ask him to have mercy on, him, on them. And the Lord tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. Well, they're still lepers. But what do they do? They immediately obey, which gets us back to the point again, the importance of obedience. In the first chapter of Isaiah, you find a wonderful balance of doctrine and practice and, and uh, our eternal salvation and our time salvation. In verses 18 and 19, when the prophet Isaiah says, Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Though your sins be like crimson, they shall be like white as snow. He is the snow and the wool of lambs as a picture of our righteousness that's imputed to us. Even though our sins are red like crimson, red as blood, my friends, but now we're white as snow based upon the cleansing power of God. Then he says this, If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the lamb. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. That's plain and simple, isn't it? I believe I can grasp that. I just believe I can understand that. Somebody said, the Bible's so hard to understand. Let me think about this a minute now. If I'm willing and obedient, I can eat the good of the lamb. That means I'll be blessed. If I refuse to rebel, I'll be destroyed. That means I'm going to have judgment come upon me. I believe I got it. <laughs> yeah, it took me about six seconds to get it. Well, I'm a little slow. But anyway, it took me six seconds to get what the Lord is saying right here. See the balance here, brethren? <laughs> See the balance between the two? So these ten lepers come to the Savior, and the Savior tells them what to do. He does not touch them like he did the man in Luke chapter 5. And then tell him, he see, he cleansed him and told him to go show himself to the priest. The Lord doesn't chase these ten. He just tells them to go and show yourself to the priest. So between the time the Lord told them to do this, wherever they're at, and when they got to the priest, they had to believe they'd be cleansed. They had to believe that they would be healed somewhere in between the time the Lord told them to do this and the time they got to the priest. That's an act of faith. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please him. But he that cometh unto God must believe that he is. He's a reward of them that diligently seek him. You know, talking about the prayer, some hardly ever pray, some pray every now and then, and some pray uh, fervently, and they pray without ceasing. When it comes to seekers, it's about the same way. I find some people hardly ever do much seeking, and then there's a seek every now and then, but there's the diligent seeker. 
And who gets rewarded? The diligent seeker gets rewarded, right? That he that seeketh diligently shall be rewarded. These ten men here, these ten lepers here, uh, must have believed what the Lord said. The Lord said, go show yourself to the priest. They acknowledge him as Jesus, a commander. So they do exactly what the Lord said. They obeyed what the Lord said. And they walk by faith. And lo and behold, before they get to the priest, they're all cleansed. Isn't that wonderful? They're all cleansed. But one of those ten does something the other nine doesn't do. Just notice it here. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, notice they were cleansed slash healed, turned back with a loud voice, glorified God. <laughs> he didn't just say, thank you, Lord, appreciate it. With a loud voice, he glorified God. He was not ashamed to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. With a loud voice, he did what? He glorified God. I tell you, brother, what they all should have done. Uh, all ten of them, I believe they should have just, uh, uh, just erupted, you might say, an impromptu hymn of praise unto God. When they all ten saw, hey, we're cleansed and we're healed. Uh, uh, they don't have one of them flash scenes they talk about, you know. When somebody just does something and everybody just jumps on board, that's what they ought to have done. If one of them just started a hymn of praise, I believe they'd all praise him with one voice. But they didn't do that. You know, from 1618 to 1648 was a 30-year period of time where there was the, uh, the uh, a great war took place. Uh, the 30-year war is what it's called. The 30-year war. It took place in Europe. And during the time of this 30-year war, it's one of the most brutal wars that's ever existed upon the face of this earth. Millions were slain. It was a religious war. But there was a man, his name was Reichhardt, I believe his last name, wrote a hymn and says, during this period of time, he wrote a hymn, we all give thanks unto thee, O God. Giving thanks unto such situations as that, he did. It said he conducted as many as 40 funerals a day, including one of his own wife. And yet he found time to be thankful. He found time to write that wonderful hymn of giving thanks to God. I tell you, my friends, I, I don't care whatever happens to in this world, we, we ought to be thankful individuals. Here this man turns around with a loud voice. He glorified God. Uh, one out of ten. And this man was a Samaritan. And he gave, and he was Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? <laughs> one out of ten. Listen, they were all lepers. They all turned and did what Jesus said. They were all cleansed, but only one stopped. Notice his condition now and turn around and glorify God. I wonder sometimes where the other nine are myself. You know, Elijah looked around one time and he said, Lord, they have broken down that altars. Uh, they've, uh, you know, uh, uh, slain thy prophets, etc. And I'm the only one left. <laughs> but the Lord said, Elijah, that's not true. I've got 7,000 men who not yet bowed their knees to the image of Baal, nor kissed him. But I'm sure Elijah probably looked around and said, well, I sure don't know where they're at, Lord. But if you say they're out there, I guess they're out there. So I guess the other nine are out there. I just want them in here. That's where I want them. He said, were there not ten? Well, the Lord knew there were ten. Were there not ten? Where are the other nine? Did not cleanse every one of them? Was he not worthy of praise and being glorified by all ten of them? Yes, he was. But only one took the time to do it. You know, I don't know about the other nine. I, I'm sure that, I know they had to be happy. 
You know, they were lepers and then in the next moment they were cleansed and I'm sure they were on their way to see the priest and, and get certified and everything else so they could be reunited with their family and their friends uh, and get back in the social circle, so to speak, uh, and back to a normal way of life. But brother, I'm going to tell you there's something more important than that. No matter what's facing us today, we should always take up enough time to praise and glorify the Lord. We should always find enough time in our lives to say, wait, before I do that, there's something more important. You see, those nine went on to show themselves unto the priest. What did this one do? He turned and showed himself to the great high priest. <laughs> he had the high priest right with him. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, See, and then we have such a great high priest that's passed into the heavens. We do. We have a high priest that's so great he's passed right into the heavens. See, we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens. He said, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. We might obtain help, or mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Let us come to the rich throne of God's wonderful grace. And with great boldness, with great confidence, may we ask God for mercy and grace to help us in the time of need, which should be every single day. That's what the Samaritan did. I'm sure the Samaritan wanted to get back to a normal way of life just as quick as everybody else. But he thought, hey, there's something more important right now. I'm going to take a little time out of my life, turn around, and I'm going to glorify the Lord. And I'm going to do it with a loud voice. I want everybody to know about it. He was a Samaritan. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't dislike his own people. The Lord was a Jew in his humanity. But the Jews despised and rejected him. The Jews looked down upon the Gentiles and the Samaritans. And the Lord used the Samaritan right here to show what a great example of the importance of giving thanks should be about. And this man showed it. In the uh, book of Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, Paul says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. He says, And giving thanks always for all things. Notice this, giving thanks for what? For all things. When? Always. <laughs> it's a continuous action, is it not? Every single day we got something to be happy about, something to be thankful about, and we need to be showing to the very best of our God-given ability. He's, and how do you start off doing that? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. I can just vision right now in my mind of a, of a wife and a mother with several children and as she's washing those clothes and going through the labors of washing those clothes, which is hard work, especially if you go back a generation or two before they had modern-day washing machines and one thing or another. And uh, I can just see her while she's laboring and she's tired. She's say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. How firm a foundation, yes, saints of the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. I just hear her singing those hymns, my friend, while she's washing those clothes on the old scrub board. Can't you see that? I can see her hanging them on the clothesline. <laughs> now, if you're not old enough to ever seen a clothesline, you can't see what I'm talking about. But there's plenty of people here today who know what a clothesline is. Hanging them sheets out on the clothesline on a day like today, the sun, my friend, just dries those sheets up. And that's hard work and labor. But she's happy because she's got a husband. She's got children. She's up, got food on the table. She's got clothes to wear. She's a thankful soul. Can you see it? Hebrews <laughs> chapter 13, he says, let us, give, uh, make, uh, let us uh, offer the sacrifice of praise unto God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto him. 
That's what I meant earlier. We have 52 Thanksgiving services a year. That's what it's all about. Are your hearts thankful this morning? I believe they are. I hope mine is. I hope I'm thankful. I, I woke up this morning. <laughs> you know, I, I set all the clocks last night an hour ahead. I got this one alarm clock. It was complicated. And, uh, you know, I got, finally got, well, I, no, I didn't. Karen did. I, I failed. She come along behind me and got it set right. But either she or me, one of the two, set the alarm clock accidentally. <laughs> and I heard that thing a beeping this morning. <laughs> I said, what is that? <laughs> I don't even know why I brought this up. But anyway, <laughs> what is that? And that thing was beep, beep. Beep, beep. <laughs> I wasn't too thankful for that. Uh, it, it didn't please me so much, but I was thankful to wake up this morning. My feet hit the floor. I think, man, I got a wonderful day in front of me. I'm going to get to meet with the Lord's people in the Lord's house and sing the hymns of praise and adoration to Him. I'm going to have the glorious opportunity to tell God's people just a little bit about the Lord Jesus Christ, how great He is, how wonderful He is. See, these ten order thought about the providence of God. Uh, that wasn't just accidental. They met the Lord Jesus Christ this day. It wasn't accidental. It was providential. And then they felt a, a great display of his power in cleansing them. Oh, the grace and the mercy of God that was displayed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ toward these ten lepers. And I'm telling you by nature, my friends, we're all in the same boat today. By nature, we're all sinners. And by practice, we're sinners. But the blood of Jesus Christ has washed our sins away as far as the east is from the west. If that don't make you have a happy, thankful heart, I just don't know anything to say. I just wouldn't know anything else to say. There was one man who turned around, glorified God with a loud voice. And the Lord said, were there not ten? Where are the other nine? Only one turned around to give me the praise. And it was this stranger. Called him a stranger. That's not too bad of a word. Abraham confessed he was a pilgrim and a stranger here in this world. I don't mind being a stranger in this world. I want to be strange to the world. I want the world to be strange to me. If I'm a strange individual because I want to come to the house of God, and join together with the Lord's people and praise Him and honor Him, I'll do that. I like the way I'll close this morning with the last verse, last two verses of Psalms 40. I love the way Psalms 40 starts out. I've quoted it many times. I waited patiently upon the Lord. He inclined upon me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And He set my feet upon a rock. And put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. And many shall see it, and they shall fear the Lord and trust in Him. Then I come to the last two verses. It says, All those that seek the Lord shall be glad and rejoice in Him. And all those that love His salvation shall say or shall magnify the name of the Lord. And then David says, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord inclines unto me. That was an expression David used frequently in the Psalms, that he was a needy individual. He was poor and he was needy. Let's sing that hymn, Brother Junior. Poor, weak, and worthless, though I am. Yeah. John Newton wrote this hymn. He wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. But he also wrote the hymn, Poor, Weak, and Worthless, Though I Am. I have a rich, almighty friend. 
sure we'll have to sing another one. We'll sing this one. Anybody here would like to unite with the church, we'd be so happy to wait upon you. One hundred seven.